chapter 53, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 4. And real quick, before, sorry, I'm, I'm messing this up. Yeah, I apologize. Before Mindy reads the passage, let's pray uh, to help this morning. Father God, please send your Holy Spirit to help us this morning. We want to see Jesus more clearly. We want to see him, the suffering servant, high and lifted up and exalted. Make much of Jesus this morning. Make your name great here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of our Lord. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word substitute? Is a substitute a good thing? I mean, I suppose it depends, right? Like if you've got a tough teacher at school, having a substitute could be a good thing. You get an easy day, maybe just do some coloring pages or something, right? Um, sometimes we think about a substitute as something we settle for when we can't have what we really want. Um, but what if you had been given an impossible task? Maybe one that your life depended on and there was no way that you could do this thing. Then you learn about someone who could do what you had been asked to do. Now how do you think about a substitute? Instead of a second best fill-in, now that substitute is the person that you need the most. So how are you feeling as you come here this morning? Maybe you feel sick physically or emotionally. Uh, maybe you feel unsettled, you can't find peace in your life. Uh, you've come this morning with a sense of guilt maybe, like you've You've done something wrong and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you're deeply sad this morning. Where, where will we find solutions to those problems? They can seem like impossible tasks because they are. We can't ultimately deal with our sickness, our guilt, our sadness. We need someone to do that for us. We need a substitute. In our passage this morning, we'll see that Jesus became our substitute taking our punishment so we would receive a blessing. So we'll see this in three parts this morning. First, verse four, we'll call it the misunderstood sufferer. The misunderstood sufferer in verse four. Look at that with me. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Profound sadness and disappointment. These things these are unfortunate realities for all of us. I mean, in this world, we all get sick, we grow old, we get hurt, we die. And worse than, it's worse than that. We don't just experience sorrow and grief. In our sin and selfishness, we cause it for others too. There's a lot of innocent suffering in this world. We just talked about that uh, in Europe. There's too much of that, but none of us, none of us are truly innocent. So into this bleak world comes one Isaiah calls the servant. We know that's Jesus of Nazareth. He bears our griefs. He carries our sorrows. I love how Tab applied this last week. 
from verse 3 where he talks about Jesus understands our sorrows because he's experienced them. But Isaiah goes further in verse 4. He says Jesus doesn't just relate to us in our suffering. This verse literally says Jesus lifted our sicknesses, like lifting them off of us. Um, he has taken on the burden of our suffering and grief onto himself. He carries the pain of our sorrow, and he carries the consequences of sin that our suffering represents. And yet, when we saw the servant, this verse tells us we didn't understand. Look at the rest of verse 4 with me. It says, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. That word yet tells us we're not seeing what's really happening. It says we see the servant suffering, and we think, aha, God's punishing him. This misunderstanding of Jesus' suffering is brought to life in Matthew's gospel. As Jesus hung on the cross, bearing their sorrows and their griefs, the crowds that gathered around made fun of him. Ah, oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself, they said. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. Isaiah puts us, you and me, into that crowd. He says, we have misjudged the one who is taking the weight of our sorrows and our griefs. It, you know, it's a strangely human thing to see people who are suffering and assume that God is punishing them. Job's friends did it in the, in the book of Job. In the story of Jesus healing a blind man, Jesus' disciples did it, and we do it too. Job's friends were wrong. Jesus' disciples were wrong, and we were wrong about the servant. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe what you're hearing about this servant, about Jesus. We're glad you're here. You're in the right place to, to hear this good news. So I wonder, consider maybe if you've drawn some wrong conclusions about Jesus. I would encourage you to keep an open mind as we go through this passage. You may be surprised at the love and the mercy that you see coming from this servant, Jesus. So I don't know about you, but for me, verse 4 asks more questions than it answers. It, what's going on here with Jesus? Why is he carrying our sufferings and sorrows? Verse 5 will help us here. So look at verse 5 with me. Let's see this as the innocent substitute. Jesus is our innocent substitute. What does the beginning of verse 5 say? Look at it. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We don't use those big words very often, transgression, iniquity, what do they mean? Those are, those are other words for what we call sin. They mean that we have crossed the line of God's rules, we've broken his laws, and we know from all through God's word that we, we deserve punishment for that. That God's holy nature requires an accounting for what we have done against him. Either we're going to be punished for it, or someone else is going to take that punishment for us. This this is what Isaiah tells us is happening here in verse 5. The servant, Jesus, receives the punishment for our sins. As commentator Alex Matier writes, the servant is the solution of the Lord to the needs of sinners. Now, it may seem, it makes sound kind of strange that someone else is taking punishment. We don't do that very often in our day, but Isaiah's original readers would have immediately understood what was happening here. Every year in the nation of Israel, there was a day, there was a special worship service called the Day of Atonement, and a goat was sacrificed, its blood used to atone for the sins of the nation, both in their daily sacrifices 
and on the Day of Atonement, that animal took the place of the people. The animal was their substitute. And it couldn't just be any lamb or goat. It had to be an animal without blemish, a perfect, innocent sacrifice. In reality, the idea of an atoning sacrifice isn't all that strange to us. We just don't use animals anymore. Uh, let me give you an example. I used to have a habit of buying things for people uh, to make up for me buying something I shouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> early in our marriage, there was a rather expensive and unnecessarily thing I wanted, and Melanie didn't want me to get it. So I figured, if I buy Melanie something that she wants, I can go ahead and get what I, what I want, and that would smooth over or cover up what I had bought. So I went ahead, I bought my thing, and I bought Melanie a sewing machine. All right, so not quite a vacuum cleaner, but you know. What was I doing? <laughs> I was trying to repair the relationship. I was trying to atone for something I did that I knew was wrong. In case you're wondering, it didn't work. <laughs> uh, here's another way that we do this, though. Perhaps you can identify with me. When we sin in some way, especially if it's something habitual, right? Losing my temper, looking at pornography, some other sin that's just, you just do it over and over again. What do we feel like? We feel like we need to stay away from God for a little while, don't we? We're like, I'm gonna, I can't quite come to God right now, right? We try to be good and follow the rules for a couple of days, uh, make up for our own sin. Can, can you relate to that? Can you do that? All that trying to make up for our own sin is a futile effort, isn't it? It doesn't work. The Israelites couldn't just do better to make up for their sin. They needed a substitute sacrifice. We can't just do better either. That's why Jesus came, to be the perfect sacrifice who would die in our place and once and for all take that sin away from us. I love how author C.S. Lewis expresses God's heart in providing the substitute sacrifice for us. In Lewis's story, The Magician's Nephew, he tells about the creation of this land of Narnia and how it was tainted from its beginning by the presence of this evil witch. Narnia's creator, the great lion Aslan, promises the Narnians, he says, evil will come of that evil, but it is still a long way off, and I will see to it that the worst falls on myself. This is so profound. This should make us stop and worship. To think that the God who created us, who lives in infinite majesty and holiness, loved his creation, loved you and me this much, that he would become one of us and see to it that not just the worst, but the entirety of the punishment for our sins fell on him. That's what Jesus did when he took our place. That's what the Easter season is all about. Isaiah goes on to tell us we didn't just escape punishment when Jesus took our place. Um, look back down at the end of verse 5 with me. Isaiah tells us upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. In taking our punishment on himself, Jesus gave us peace that we didn't deserve, even though, oh, we wanted it so bad, didn't we? And healing that we couldn't get any other way. What happens to a relationship when you hurt the other person? Kids, how do you feel when, with your parents when you've disobeyed them? Or how about with your best friend after you've had a fight? Do you feel close to them? You feel all warm and fuzzy? No, the relationship is broken, right? There's no peace there. 
There's conflict, there's anger, there's, maybe there's sadness, but things aren't right with whoever you've offended. You've got, to, you've got to make things right somehow. That's how it is between us and God when we sin. It started with Adam's first sin in the Garden of Eden. He hid from God, fearful and ashamed. There was no peace there. Here Isaiah tells us that Jesus brought us peace with God, that peace that we needed, but at a terrible price. This is how Paul puts it in Colossians. He says, Jesus reconciled to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. How? How did Jesus make peace? By the blood of his cross. On the cross, Jesus endured the chastisement, the punishment that we earned for ourselves by our sins. In covering over our sins, in atoning for them in our place, Jesus restored our relationship with God. He made it so that God can now live with us in perfect relationship in a repaired and restored communion. So maybe you're here this morning, you don't feel at peace with God or with others. This verse tells us there's nothing we can do to make that peace happen, nothing. No way for us to atone for our sin. You can't buy enough sewing machines to cover over your sins. Only Jesus can take God's punishment for sin, and he already has. If you feel yourself lacking that peace that you long for so much this morning, turn to Jesus. Trust him and his death for you and receive the peace that he purchased. Isaiah tells us one more thing that Jesus did for us on the cross. Look again at the end of verse 5 with me. With his wounds, we are healed. We can all relate to being sick, right? To needing healing in some, some way. Here's how one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, describes Jesus' ministry. He says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Do you hear Isaiah 53, 5 there? Do you hear the healing that the servant brings? Now, now though, our healing isn't perfect or complete, unfortunately, because God's kingdom isn't here in all of its fullness. But in the last book of the Bible of Revelation, we learn about the new heavens and the new earth where it says, quote, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And it is Jesus wounding. It is his punishment in our place that makes that possible both now and at the end of the age. Physical healing, though, isn't the ultimate relief that Isaiah is talking about. Um, hear how the apostle Peter applies this passage. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. What's Peter saying? He's saying it's Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, his wounds that, give, that take our sin away, that give us a new life of righteousness. That's the healing we most need. Not, not healing from physical sickness, but relief from the terminal disease called sin. It's by his wounds that we are healed. So how do we respond to this truth? One way, one way is to simply come to Jesus. Come to Jesus to receive the peace and the healing that he loves to give. The gospel writer Luke tells the story of a woman who had been sick for 12 years. She'd spent every bit of money she had on doctors and had gotten no better. 
So she came to Jesus for healing, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Healing and peace. Can you identify with that woman this morning? What's that place in your life where you've tried everything and nothing is working and you're not any better? Come to Jesus this morning. Trust him and receive perfect peace and perfect healing. So Isaiah has shown us the servant as the misunderstood sufferer and the innocent substitute who took our place. Let's look at verse 6 now. Let's see the servant as the divine scapegoat. It's a big word, the divine scapegoat. See what verse 6 says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. Can you see yourself here in this verse? What's my role in this story? We've gone astray. We've wandered off the right path. We've made our own ways. Now, this sounds fairly innocent, right? Poor sheep just wandered off the path looking for greener pastures. It's not what Isaiah's talking about. The Apostle Paul helps us understand this wandering for what it really is. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, and let's see this together. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Here's what Paul writes. We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Unrighteous, worthless, no one does good. Doesn't sound very innocent, does it? Like we said earlier, this is why we deserve punishment. This is why I deserve punishment. I've turned away deliberately from God's ways, determined to do whatever I wanted. Thankfully, though, it's not just our role that verse 6 makes clear we finally see who is making this substitution happen. Look back at the end of verse six with me and see what it says. Verse six of Isaiah chapter 53. And the Lord has laid on him, on the servant, the iniquity of us all. God is placing, laying on the servant the sins of the people. That's what the scapegoat is. Someone who takes the blame even though they're innocent. This may seem this may seem like an odd image. What, what's going on here? It's laying iniquity on someone. What's happening? Do you remember I talked about earlier the Day of Atonement, that day when a goat was sacrificed for the people of Israel? There was a second goat that day. Leviticus tells us, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. This this was the scapegoat. It was an animal that was blamed for all the sins of the people of Israel. So can you see what's happening here in Isaiah? As the high priest confessed the sins of Israel over the scapegoat, which would literally carry their sins off into the desert, so God the Father has placed on the servant, on God the Son, our sins. Just let the weight of that land on you for a minute. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians that describe this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's our very first song this morning. Thank you, Philip. Um, 
God made Jesus, who was completely perfect, turned into our ugly, repulsive sins so that in Jesus, we, we might become the righteousness of God. Actually, now we can actually understand verse 4, right? Back to that misunderstanding. God was indeed striking the servant, but not for anything he had done. It wasn't his fault, no. As Alex Machia writes, it was for the astonishing purpose of laying our sin on him. Sometimes today we hear people object. This teaching of Jesus taking our punishment on him is called something's cosmic child abuse. From one perspective, that's understandable. I mean, why would God the Father do that to his son? It, it can seem like ultimate cruelty to use your power to harm someone else, even if you have a good motive. And, and I want to be really sensitive here, okay? If you're here this morning and you have experienced some form of abuse as a child or as an adult, I am really very sorry for that. That was wrong, and God hates what happened to you. The elders and others in our church are here to talk with you if you would be helped by that. And let me say, too, if you're here this morning and you are or you have been an abuser, receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit and repent. Nothing in God's word justifies the sin of harming another human being in God's image. And we're here to help you with that, too, to walk in the light and experience God's transforming power. Okay, so what do we think about this? Is, is God the Father abusing his son? Author Rachel Den Hollander, who is herself an abuse survivor, explains, quote, the incarnate son of God dies on the cross, not because he was coerced into it by his father, but because that was the way God chose to forgive sinners and uphold justice. All right, let me read that one more time. The incarnate son of God dies on the cross, not because he was coerced into it by his father, but because that was the way God chose to forgive sinners and uphold justice. Jesus, our divine scapegoat, was not abused by his father. As the second member of the Trinity, as God himself, he willingly carried our sins away from us. As Den Hollander points out, it is abusive. Jesus was forced against his will to die on the cross, but he wasn't. Jesus himself told us this in John 10. He said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus acted out of love, love for his father and love for us. I'm sure that you, if you're anything like me, you're aware of some sin that's weighing you down, maybe even right now. Maybe you tell yourself that this sin is just too much. You can't come close to God because of it. Let this verse tell you a different story. I want you to picture Isaiah 53, 6 and Leviticus 16 in your mind. Picture it in your mind. I want you, I want you to see that sin that you're so aware of right now placed on Jesus. I want you to see, see the triune God acknowledging you and your sin as he figuratively lays his hands on Jesus and sends that sin far away from you. Hear how David puts this in Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. That is an infinite, 
immeasurable distance. No matter how far you go to the east, you're never going to get to the west. That, that is what Jesus, our divine scapegoat, has done for us. So let this passage call us to turn back to God this morning. He's made a way for us to come back from our wandering. Jesus told his disciples, my sheep know my voice. Listen for the voice of Jesus today and follow him back to his good ways, his loving care. If you've never followed Jesus at all, right now is a great time to begin. Now is the time to repent of going your own way and follow God's way instead. And for those of us who are following Jesus, this is a really good reminder to be wary of temptations to follow our own paths. A good reminder to keep following our shepherd voice. I I, I love how Peter reminds us in his first letter, the Apostle Peter says, for you were straying like sheep, you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Such sweet words to me. Let's sum up what Jesus has shown us through the words of Isaiah this morning. We saw Jesus experiencing sorrow and grief, yet being misunderstood by the ones he came to save. We saw Jesus taking our place, receiving the punishment that our sins deserved, and instead giving us peace and healing. And we saw ourselves wandering off God's path, and God the Father placing our sins on God the Son instead of on us. Now we know there's no punishment left for us to receive. There's no need for us to try to make up for the sins that we've done, to get back in good with God. There's no more sewing machines for me to buy. Because our punishment fell onto a suffering substitute. The God who loved us so much that he ensured that the worst of the effects of sin, the infinite punishment we deserved, fell on himself. I think, I, really, I think our final and our best response to this amazing truth is just to praise God. Yeah. Turn to Psalm 103, please. I want to read the beginning words of Psalm 103 with you as we wrap it up this morning. King David wrote the psalm hundreds of years before Isaiah, and yet it echoes the themes of Isaiah 53. Look at Psalm 103, verses 1 through 4. David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. We can do this every day. We can do this many times a day if we stop and think about it a bit. Did you wake up this morning able to move, able to breathe? Bless the Lord who heals all your diseases. When you sin, instead of running away, bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquity. Did you enjoy a good meal, precious time with a friend? Bless the Lord who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. In every moment of every day, there is some reason to bless the Lord, to remember all of his benefits, his healing and peace for you and me. Let's pray. Our kind and loving Father who sent your Son to take our place, we pray that you would help us to turn from our ways this morning to follow you. Help us to receive the peace and the healing that you hold out to us 
and to give you the thanks and praise which is due to your name. We love you and we bless your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Dan, for that helpfully clear presentation of the good news. I imagine you can relate to that sense of keeping your distance from God when you're aware of your sin. And yet, I thought Dan put it so well. We can't just do better. I hope you know, friends, that's not the gospel this morning. That's not the good news for your soul. Just do better. We're going to celebrate the gospel by taking the Lord's Supper. And I don't think a verse could sum up why better than verse 5. Let me just read that to you one more time. This is what we celebrate now in the bread and the cup. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought you peace with God. And with his wounds we are healed. Friends, in a moment you're going to be able to line up on the side aisles. And if you would, please take bread or receive bread rather. Take a cup of juice or wine. And as you do so, feast on Christ by faith. Remind your soul, the good news this morning is not that I, quote, do better, but that he was pierced for me. So if the 